Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Amen. I like that next verse as well. Job twenty two twenty nine. when they cast you down, you will say, there's a lifting up. Then he will save the humble person. Notice that when they cast you down, you will say, there is a lifting up. It's just like in the book of Joel. Let the weak say, let the weak say, let the poor say. Oh, it's almost like you got to speak what God has said about your life by faith, and then things change. Amen. How many is thankful that there's power in God's Word? That's exactly how it works. All words are are vehicles that carry thoughts, imaginations, intents, desires, directions, instructions, just like your car. You get in your car, and your car takes you places, or at least it should. If not, we'll, we'll believe God for a new car if you can't get there. Amen. But that car, I've been there before. You get in the car, it don't run, it don't work. You think, Lord, you know, if I, I'm not mechanically inclined, so I have to lay hands on it. Then I have to call the mechanic, right, to get the thing running. But that car takes you places. Your words carry your faith or fear, unbelief, doubt, or faith. And when you speak, that heart of faith that you have is being revealed. How many is ready to have that heart of faith in you revealed today by your words today in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, let's go ahead and make our confession. Do you have your Bible, the Word of God? It is the source of truth. Amen. And let everything else be a lie. For it is, for God's Word, it is true today, yesterday, and forever. Let's make our confession. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess My mind's alert. My heart's receptive. I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, incorruptible, ever-living seed, the Word of God. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, somebody shout amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. I am so thankful to be here today. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. I want to share with you this morning something very simple. But when we grab it and let it root itself in our hearts... It will change who we are. It will change our life. It will give you a marriage from heaven. It will keep your children and your grandchildren. Or if it's the reverse, you need to see your your desire to see your parents, grandparents come to the Lord. Same with that way. It'll bring the blessing of God into your life. Healing can touch your physical body. 
the ministries and the gifts of the Holy Spirit will flow through you. We'll see our city turned upside down. We'll see growth in our church, which thank God we're seeing growth in this church. Praise Jesus. We'll see people shaken. We'll see the lost found and the found get stronger in the Lord. And it's this very simple thing. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in you as a believer. And something happens when God visits your house. With that in mind, let's go to 2 Samuel 6, starting at verse 1. Let's read a couple verses here. Starting at verse 1. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. Verse 4. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went, from, went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, on cymbals. Surely they had at least one uh, electric guitar in there somewhere. Verse 6, And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Verse 7, Then the anger of the Lord aroused, was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. Verse 8, David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day, which means a breaking forth or an outburst against Uzzah. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Verse 11, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Look at verse 11 one more time. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Would you lift your hands to heaven? Father, we come before you. We set our heart and our mind for one purpose, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Through wisdom and revelation, Lord, give us understanding of everything that you're sharing with us through your word today. In Jesus' name, if that's your prayer, say amen. So we have something taking place here. Of course, if you look and you're reading through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, you know, you're doing your, your Bible reading. Many of y'all, I'm, I'm so proud of you, many of you already told me, you know, hey, I've already finished my Bible through for the year, you know, around November. Uh, uh, Miss Laverne was telling me she already finished it up, so she's looking to do take another book maybe for the rest of the year and just study through it. So 
Uh, that's great. That's great. But when you're reading through your Bible in the year or however amount of time you might spend on it, less or more, but you're reading through that period of time uh, through your Bible, you'll get First Samuel and Second Samuel. It's named, of course, after the prophet Samuel during his time of ministry. Samuel is in ministry and he's a judge and he's a prophet to the people of Israel and a priest. He takes place takes the place of Eli. It's a very sad story concerning Eli and his family. Uh, but nonetheless, there's a change that takes place in Samuel's the prophet. He's the priest and he's the last judge that we see for the people of Israel. And it's at that point in time, Israel desires a king, rather a man, to rule over them. I hope you understand that if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, when we see the dominion mandate, you'll see that God has given you dominion over the fish of the sea, how many is thankful for that, especially when you cast that line out there and that hook, right? Praise the Lord. Cast that line hook. i got dominion over those fish. Fish over or dominion over the animals of the land, all the creeping things. Say, i got dominion over creeps, over every creeping thing the Bible says, right? You've got dominion, but it never says people. At no point in time are people to lord themselves over other people. And so there's this transition that takes place where Israel says, we want a king. And you could say, well, why was that? Unfortunately, Samuel, unfortunately, like Eli as well, didn't raise his sons in a way that they were honoring God and they became, uh, they brought dishonor to the name of God and it was a stench in the people's nostrils of Israel. But that didn't give them right to say, well, we want a man to rule over us. But they asked for a man to rule over them. And God tells Samuel, Samuel begins to weep because of it. They, he thinks they've rejected him, but in reality, they've rejected God because God is and was the king of Israel. And they wanted a man instead. So they get King Saul. King Saul's an interesting fellow. He stands real tall, but he's good at hiding. When he is called out to be anointed king, he's out hiding. But he's too tall to hide. He looks like a king, but he doesn't have the heart of a king. He does all right the first few years, but then he begins to disobey the Lord. And the problem with Saul is each time he disobeys, he care less to repent. That's the problem. There's two times where Saul disobeys God. Each time, he cares less to repent. In fact, one time he tells Samuel the prophet, don't not take me out in front of the people. At least, look, I realize I've sinned. I realize the Lord's going to replace me. But at least take me out in front of the people so I'll look good. Ooh, that's serving the fear of man rather than the fear of God. And that always gets you in trouble. So Saul gets replaced over a period of time with King David. King David has now been made king of all the tribes of Israel. And that's where we're at. And we find King David, he has a desire. He wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back home. Okay? Well, in order for us to get there and get to some things how the Lord in the presence of God deals with us and changes us, I, I want us to make sure that we're all on the same page. I don't want to assume that we just all understand what we're looking at when we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. So, real quickly, what is the Ark of the Covenant? I have this written down. The Ark of the Covenant was a wooden chest overlaid with gold inside and outside. Very expensive. Very expensive. Wasn't spray paint, gold color. It was plated gold inside and out. Inside the Ark of the Covenant had the tablets of the law. It had a pot of manna. It had the staff of Aaron that budded. Remember, it's a walking stick. And, and, and in Numbers chapter 17, 16 and 17, there's an uprising of these people saying, who does Aaron think he is? That he's going to be the priesthood. 
And, and, and Moses said, well, let's find out who God's chosen. So he makes Aaron's staff bud forth. It's an almond staff. It buds forth, and it's budded, and it's in the Ark of the Covenant. So those things are deposited in the Ark of the Covenant. The Israelites believed that the Ark of the Covenant was symbolically Jehovah's throne. On the Ark of the Covenant, you have the mercy seat. You have these cherubim. And in fact, Laura, can you picture three? Picture three. What is the reverse order. There we go. So we see the Ark of the Covenant. You can see it's roughly about five and a half foot long. It's about three foot wide, three foot deep, covered in gold. It's got these rods on each side, shittim wood, that's covered in gold. You can see on the tops the mercy seat with these cherubim that are reaching forward, touching with their wings. There's no idol or imagery of God on the ark because you're not supposed to make idols. Amen? Don't, don't ever make idols. So it's an empty throne. It's significant that basically this is the footstool of God. This is the throne of God. It was in the holy place. So go to image two. We're doing, she asked me what order. I'm doing the exact opposite order. The holy place, and you can see the Ark of the Covenant. It's in the back. And you see what's separating the Ark of the Covenant from everyone else is the veil. The veil that was rent into from the top down when Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished. Because now that which is holy has been made open and available by the blood of Christ. It's Hebrews chapter 4. You and I can now enter into that holy place or rather where the presence of God dwells by the blood of Jesus. We no longer have to rely on the high priest who one man, one day of the year, for one time, go before all of, uh, for, on behalf of Israel, before the presence of God. We don't have to do that. We can go in the presence of God instantly by the blood of Christ. How many is thankful that you can just instantly go into the throne room of God in the time of need and get grace and mercy for what you have need of? Instantly just go in. But then, one man, one day, one time. And he would go in, and there's different things taking place in there. And if you go out one more, the first image, you'll see the tabernacle. And that would be so that you have the holy place, that tent covered, and you have all the different things taking place. So the Ark of the Covenant, Fine Stake wrote this, the whole Ark symbolized the divine presence in all places. And of course, it served this container holding those very special things. It was on the other side of the veil opposite the Ark of the Most Holy. The high priest would go in before there on the ark to sprinkle that blood on only on one day of the year. It's called Yom Kippur. It's in the month of September, the Day of Atonement. And, of course, the absence of any figure or symbol of God on the mercy seat testified that though you may not see him with natural eyes, his presence was there covering the place. It's where people, you see it in the book of Joshua, after Joshua and the people of Israel destroy Jericho and have that mighty battle they go to take out a small little town called Ai, it's Joshua chapter 7. When they're defeated and 36 men die, the first time we see in these orders of battle in the promised land where men die because there's sin, quote-unquote hidden sin, in the camp of Achan, Joshua immediately goes to the ark. You can see in the Old Testament, this was a place where man would speak to God. And then, of course, you say, well, when's the last time we saw the ark? Well, thankfully... We had a gentleman that did find the ark. He was a college, of, a college professor of archaeology and world-renowned archaeologist, Dr. Jones. And I think he found the ark. That's picture number four. 
him and his, and his friend, Shala, they found the ark. And you might say, where is the ark now? That's the last picture. Thankfully, they kept it from the Nazis using it as a super weapon. It's now in storage in a top secret facility uh, of the U.S. government. And if you believe those last two images, you need to read more of your Bible. But uh, <laughs> who likes Indiana Jones? Uh, that's obviously from Indiana Jones. Now, all right, you can take that off. All right, thank you. I couldn't help myself. All right, if you would, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 4. Some of y'all are saying, amen, praise the Lord, Dr. Jones. Bless God for me. Oh, okay. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3. So we, real briefly, again, that was extremely brief what, on what the ark is. But essentially, the ark is a representation of the presence of God. It's a natural thing that God ordained, Exodus 25. God tells Moses to make it exactly how to make it, exactly what to do with it, what to put in it. Why is the ark not with the people? 1 Samuel 4, verse 3. This is when Samuel is speaking to the people of Israel. He had just become a prophet. Eli is still over him. And you know what? Let me encourage you with this. Samuel's a young man. He's a young prophet. Uh, the word of the Lord is coming to Samuel, but Eli's still in charge. You may find yourself anointed of God, called of God, but there may be someone over you in authority that isn't where they need to be. You see it with King Saul and King David. You think about, there's two different times King David has an opportunity to take Saul out. One time, one of his mighty men say, King da- or says to David, David, if you'll just let me, I'll strike Saul one time. That's all it'll take. I mean, these were bad dudes that ran around with David. And David said, I'm not going to touch the anointed of the Lord. He honored the position that Saul had been given, even though Saul had abdicated and he was not serving God and he was sinful. And you might find yourself as a child of God in a position where you're anointed and you're called, but there's someone over you that ain't doing what they need to be doing. So what do you do in the time being? You let God handle the person that's over you You let God take care of them, and you take care of yourself. Because Samuel, he's an anointed man of God. He's called of God. He's going to replace Eli, but he's not in charge yet. Eli's still in charge. So the people of Israel, they don't have a king. They're in this limbo period, and they go out to fight the Philistines, and they're defeated. And rather than asking themselves, why did we just lose a battle? Because we've won so many. Whenever God sent us out to win, to fight, we always won. Whenever God sends you to do something and you do it His way, carrying His anointing, you always are victorious. Let me say that one more time. Whenever you do what God tells you to do, you do it His way with His anointing, you are always, every single time, victorious. If something ain't working... It's not because God didn't get his act together. But the people of Israel, they say, hmm, why did we lose this battle? Oh, I know, let's grab the ark and take it. They're thinking, if we can just carry this natural box. Again, it represented the presence of God, but it was simply sanctified or holy because God said it was. It's not God himself. And you might, and I was making a little bit of a joke with that, but in the Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's the whole plot. The Nazis in the 1930s, they think that if they can find the Ark of God, they can use it as a super weapon. As if the Ark itself carries power. Do you believe in Jesus? Oh, brother, I go to church. 
Thank God you go to church. But church, just the simple act of walking in a building doesn't carry power. Do you believe in the Lord? Oh, yes, I got my grandmama's Bible. Praise God for your grandmother and her Bible. But is the word of God in your heart? It's not the thing. It's him that carries the power. So 1 Samuel 4, 3, And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? There's the first problem. We're defeated. It's God's fault. Always, 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 always assume God has your best in mind. Jeremiah 29, 11. God says to the people of Israel who are currently in captivity for their sins, for their wrongdoing, He said, my plans towards you are one of hope and of peace and a good future. So just stay where you're at, stay settled, because there's a consequence for the actions that you have refused to repent of. How many know there's consequence, good and bad, to what we do? And so they're saying, oh, why did God let this happen? Now, middle of the verse, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, we may, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Notice, let's get the Ark. We'll go to battle again. And the ark will save us. Now, what happens if you skip down to verse 10? The Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they died. So there, right there, we see it's not about the ark. It's not about the physical box, but rather what the box, the ark represents, which is the presence of God. They took the box, but they didn't take the presence. Okay, so now what happens? Jump over to 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. The Philistines took the ark of God. They brought it before from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of the God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. They think, all right, we've got our God. Obviously, it's stronger than the Israelites' God because we won. But just in case, we'll put their God's box, Ark of the Covenant, beside our God and we'll have double God power. Verse 3, when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, their Dagon fallen on its face. Notice it didn't fall back. It fell face flat in worship. Falling on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord, so they took Dagon and set it on its place again. Pro tip, if your God falls over and you are the one responsible for lifting it back up, find a new God. Verse 4, when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon falling on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon, both the palms of its hand were broken off and only the threshold, on the threshold, only Dagon's torso was left of it. Second pro tip, if your God falls over again and its head and hands come off, find a new God. Verse 5, therefore neither the priest of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread in the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. Verse 6, but the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must, re- must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us in Dagon our God. So then they have the bright idea, let's send it to our neighbors. And the ark of the covenant makes its way through the five major cities of the Philistines. Everywhere the ark's taken, these 
there's tumors coming on the people. There's mice. Oh, it's terrible. There's just plagues. It's almost like God's just playing with them. But remember, they have the box. They have the ark. But the presence isn't there. Okay, so what happens? Eventually, the Philistines say, we won in physical battle, but now we've brought this, this box back with us, the Ark of the Covenant, and it's whipping us left and right. Let's get rid of this thing. So they send it back, and they put it on a, on a, on a cart pulled by a milk cow. It's interesting because it leaves the calf behind, and a milk mother's cow that's uh, calving right then, it would never separate, but it does. And they say if it does separate, which is unnatural, then it's a sign of God, which it did, and it was a sign of God. And that cow carried, the cows came home. The cow came home with the ark of God. So turn to 1 Samuel 7, 1. 1 Samuel 7, verse 1. Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And that's where the ark remains for 20 some odd years. So that kind of gets us up to speed of 2 Samuel 6. What is the ark? Well, we understand what it is. How did it even leave the hands of Israelites? They foolishly take it into battle thinking that's the power when it's God who holds all power. Psalm 62, all power belongs unto God. They lose it in battle. It makes its way through the Philistines. They say, well, we've got to get rid of this thing. It goes back to this place of Kirjath-Jerim, and it stays there. And Saul, because the Spirit of the Lord's left him and his backslidden apostate state. He never seeks the Lord. He's trying to kill the anointed of the Lord. Even when it, he even tries to kill his son who actually had, a, had the Spirit of God in him and loved David and knew enough that this is what God said. You don't war against God, but Saul tried to do it. And it's a very, very sad death that he dies. Now, if you will, turn with me back to, or turn with me to 1 Chronicles 13. In your Bible reading, you'll, you'll find out very quickly that there is repetition in the books of First and Second Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles is written down by the priest and the man of God, Ezra, during the time of rebuilding with Nehemiah. Nehemiah and Ezra are counterparts when they're rebuilding Jerusalem. And First and Second Chronicles is a religious account. And when I say religious, not dead religion, but an account of the things of the Spirit in the hearts of the people of Israel and Judah. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings is political things taking place, and lots of times you'll go through these lists of kings in First and Second Kings, and it says this king did that, this king did this, this king followed the Lord, this king didn't. Then you go to First and Second Chronicles, and you see more of the condition of their heart and what was going on. First Chronicles thirteen verse one. Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and the hundreds and every leader, and David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you. And if it is of the Lord our God, let us send us out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel and with them to the priests and the Levites who are there in the cities and their common lands that they may gather together to us. Verse 3, and let us bring the ark of our God back to us. Now notice the language here. For we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Verse 4, then all the assemblies said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. If you want to live your life, and that's really what the intention of this idea is, when God visits your house. If you want to live in a place 
that attracts the blessing of God. If you want to be in a place where you carry the anointing of God, which is simply God's power on your life, you have to do things God's way. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Proverbs 16, 1, that same chapter. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. In other words, to me, my plans, my opinions, my thoughts are perfect. They're mine. And to you... Your plans, your thoughts, your opinions are perfect. They're yours. I've never heard a better opinion than my own. And nor you. But what do we have to do? Let the Lord weigh the spirits. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. But is this spirit led? Uh, Laura had to do some testing and we had to go over to the hospital and do a test on something um, that she was kind of dealing with in her body. We're believing God for total and complete healing and health in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because the stripes of Christ Jesus bear witness that healing is the children's bread, and she is a daughter of the king, and she sits at the table and eats and partakes of that healing in Jesus' name. But while we're there, wouldn't you know it, the tech is a spirit-filled, born-again believer. And he preaches to us for about 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And he gets done, he says, so what do you do? And I said, I'm thinking how good he, he just preached to us and just ministered to us. And I'm thinking, <clears throat> I'm a pastor. <clears throat> Don't ask me to say anything because you just, you just did it, brother. I mean, it was a hand of God on his life. Wonderful, wonderful. And when he was talking to us about some different things, he said, you need to be spirit-led. N- nuclear technician on a test in the hospital, you need to be spirit-led. The Lord will send you helpers. And there's God's way and there's man's way. And just because it looks right, that's why I took you to 1 Chronicles 13, verse 4. Seems good to all of us, David. Let's do it. We took a vote and we all agree. Doesn't matter. God never, ever stops to say, what did the majority of people say on this issue? Okay, that's what we'll do. There is God's truth, there is God's way, and everything else is man's way, and it leads to destruction. And that's why, if you turn back to 2 Samuel 6, and this is where we'll be for the rest of this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 6, that's why we get in this situation where David says, all right, let's go get the ark. Let's bring it back. I mean, think about it. They, they, they put it on a brand new cart. Notice verse 3. They put the ark of God on a new cart. Not an old cart. Brand new. They went to the cart lot got the title deed, took it off the lot, and right when that cart hit the curb, it dropped in 30%. Now, that's what new cars do, right? They got a brand new cart. We're going to put this ark of God on a brand new cart. Well, why did they put it on a cart? Because in Exodus 25, 13, God told Moses in verse 14, you'll put poles into the rings of the side of the ark 
that the ark may be carried by them, the Levites, on their shoulders. Verse 15, the poles shall be the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. God's way, carry the ark. Four Levites carry the ark on their shoulder. Men set apart and anointed by God. That's their job, to carry the things of the, of the tabernacle. God's way, carry it on the shoulder. Man's way, put it on a cart. Where did the people of Israel get this idea? The Philistines did it. Every idea, every way of thinking that you get from the world, God will not anoint. You, me, anyone. If I'm using the wisdom of this world, God will not anoint it. He won't empower it. He has no obligation to do so. He won't bless it. It's, you'll get much further down the road of life going to God and say, Lord, direct me in this path, rather than saying, Lord, this is what I've decided, bless it. You'll get a whole lot further down, down the road of life just stopping and saying, Lord, I've got some decisions I need to make. You lead me. You show me. Maybe take some time prayer with, prayer with fasting. Miss a few meals. It will be far better than marrying the wrong person. Making a move. Go, leaving somewhere just to chase this or that. Get there and it's, not go- and it's gone when you get there. Going to the wrong school. Taking the wrong place to try to figure out employment. Working the wrong uh, position uh, or working somewhere. A different company here or there. Be spirit led. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 tells us that as children of God, that's our inheritance. Romans 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. How many are children of God here today? Then it's your divine right to be Spirit-led. Don't just put the presence, the ark of God on a cart because that's what the world does. Carry it the way God commanded it to be carried. Because what it comes down to is, I can't do what I need to do. You can't do what you need to do with your own strength. Now, that's what you see. You're in 2 Samuel 6. Notice, when they're car- they got the ark on a cart. It ain't supposed to be there. So what happens? They're doing it the wrong way. Then the oxen stumble, and the ark starts to move, and Uzzah reaches out to stop it. Problem. The book of Leviticus specifically commands, you don't touch this ark. So when you do things man's way, Stuff messes up, and in your own strength, you're trying to stop it, and it gets worse. And then Uzzah's struck down because he's trying to carry God's anointing with man's power. Let me tell you this. People use this phrase about being burnt out. You can't get burned out moving, working, and flowing in the anointing of God. You can't do it. Because there's a flow of life that doesn't end. Now, if you try to do it yourself, with your strength, your ways, you'll run out real quick. But when you're daily living, breathing, and moving, and having your being in the Spirit of God, when you're Spirit-led, you're at the right place at the right time with the right people, you say the right things, you do the right stuff, and God blesses your way. Weary, broken down, tired is not the path of the believer. Up and up, up and up. Joy, peace, righteousness, fullness of life. 
but you can't do it man's way. That's why Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Oftentimes, that's when things get messed up. God says this, okay, how am I going to make it happen? You don't need to make it happen. You just need to obey. God will make it happen. You just need to trust and obey. There's no other way. What's the third line? To be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I'm still learning that song. Lars singing that one to Naomi at night. So I'm still learning that one. I usually make up the third line. It's always scriptural, but it just ain't the right words. Now notice verse 10. So David, after this takes place, David is afraid. He's fearful. And he's thinking, honestly, if Uzzah got killed, mm, I very well could be next in line. Let's just stop everything. And so, verse 10, David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So the Lord comes to visit Obed-Edom's house. Now, I want you to think about this. We don't have a whole lot told of us of what's going on, but we can begin to look in Scripture, and this is why it's so good just to read through your Bible, because if you're reading and a few weeks later you hit First Chronicles, you'll hear about Obed-Edom again. You'll find out he's a Levite and that he's actually a gatekeeper. That's his job under the Levitical priesthood. And so really when it comes right down to it, Obed-Edom is just kind of like a, a lower-level type guy, but he's a Levite. And we know this. If God was so serious to where Uzzah fell down dead. If Obed-Edom, while the ark remains in his house for three months, he's blessed, Obed-Edom is living differently. See, the book of Ephesians 4 verse 30 tells us, do not, Ephesians 4, grieve the Holy Spirit. Let me read that full verse for you. Ephesians 4 verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit. Both of those are commands to believers. Because as Christians, as born-again redeemed sons and daughters of God, with the Spirit of God dwelling in us, there's a way we should live. The Bible wouldn't say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't quench the Holy Spirit, unless there was an option or an opportunity for me to live in such a way that grieves the Holy Spirit or quenches the Spirit. You might think, well, He's God. Absolutely. And in His power and in His might, He says, you live in such a certain way because there is a type of living that attracts the power of God and the blessing of God. But then there's also a way of living that's not holy or sanctified unto God. And it's more, it's less about the outward of thing, more about the inward uh, change and condition of the heart. Because when the heart gets right, then the outward actions that live up to the, what the heart's been done and uh, made as a new creation. But there's a certain way that we have to live in order to carry the presence and the anointing of God. And Obed-Edom obviously is living in such a way that God's hand rests on his house. And you and I as believers, we are to live in such a way where we realize that God, he is indwelling in us. 
You might think, well, how is that so? 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? So we were at Church 401 last week. We were taking that 401 class talking about soul winning. And we're talking about church. And basically what we came up with, what is church? What are we doing right now? It's a whole lot of little churches, temples, gathering together in one centralized location. Because in the Old Testament... The presence of God had a devoted place, that tabernacle in the temple. But now, because of the new covenant, because of the blood of Christ, because we have a better promise, because the blood speaks a better word, you and I have been made temples of the Holy Spirit. So just like those Israelites, they're carrying the ark, which is a representation of the presence of God. When you move and you're being spirit-led, the presence of God's in you, flowing. And you're carrying the anointing. That's why you should be happy, not sad when you go to work. God just showed up. Not you. You're not God, but God's in you. The Spirit of God's in you. When you go to Thanksgiving, and you know, you're going to the, you know, that one crazy aunt you don't like. Oh, no, none of y'all do that. But when you go visit at family house somewhere, and you think, oh, Lord, no, that's all right. I'm carrying peace. I'm carrying joy. I'm carrying love. You know the beautiful thing about walking in love? You ain't got to get no one's permission to do it. A good, a good, a good uh, clue if you're walking in love, if I'm walking in love, I won't say, they shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have said that. I'll just say, bless them. It's not going to change how I walk. It doesn't change how I talk. Because I'm doing everything in honor and service to my master and to my Lord. Because God's dwelling in me. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. That's what you are. That's what I am. We have treasure in earthen vessels. This old body, it's been redeemed, it's been made alive, and the Spirit of God's dwelling in me. Lift your hand to heaven and say, The Spirit of God lives in me. One more time, pat your belly when you do this, like Santa Claus, pat your belly. Say, The Spirit of God lives in me. So when God visits your house, things change. When the, when the covenant, when the Ark of the Covenant, the testimony... It was also called the testimony because it carried the word. When the word of God has free range in your home, in your life, when the spirit of God, he's moving, he's leading, he's operating, that's when things change in your household. That's when, things, that's when healing's loosed in your body. That's when the blessing comes on everything you put your hands to. That's when there's peace and there's joy. That's when there's length of days and long life. That's when you live and know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's how you can have a witness that you have been sanctified and you are holy unto God. That's how your marriage gets redeemed. That's how your children are blessed. And that's how the peace of your children, it's great because they're taught of God. Because when God visits your house, things change. Hallelujah. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Obed-Edom, we don't know what's going on. We just know the ark's there and God approves him for three months. 
and the blessing of God is on his house. Everything comes alive. He was a nobody, and God selected him. God picked him out. Why? His heart was right. You may not be on anyone else's radar, anyone else's map, but when you get your heart right before God, God will come and touch you, and everything changes. You don't need man to succeed. You don't need somebody to come along and do something for you. You've got God. You've got all you need. You've got the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost empowering what you do. You don't need anything else. The Lord's lining things up for you. Now, as we finish this morning, turn with me to 1 Chronicles 26. Don't hold it against me. I said we're going to stay in 2 Samuel. Uh, don't, don't hold it against me. I repent, please. 1 Chronicles chapter 26, look at this, verse 4. If you begin to read in chapter 26, starting at verse 1, you'll begin to read about different gatekeepers. Oh, you've got to see this. I know you want lunch, and it's going to be real good, but I promise you, you want to hear this. Give me just a few minutes here. Last week, someone, you know, for the Christmas play on the 10th, that evening, we're going to have music and then a play, and then I'm going to have the opportunity to, to share the Word of God. So bring some people that may not normally come on a Sunday morning, but they'll come to a Christmas play. Bring them, because I'm going to do my best to present to them a living Christ so they can be saved if they're not. Amen? And someone said, is this, anyone given A.J.? Uh, uh, a, uh, what was it? a curfew, a time, a time limit. And I said, I'll stop when Christmas gets here. It's only 15 days. It's a short time to preach. But notice in First, First Chronicles 26, you're looking at these gatekeepers. Verse 4, Moreover, the sons of Obed-Edom were Shemaiah, the firstborn of Jehozabat, the second, Joah, the third, Sakar, the, the fourth, Nethanel, the fifth, verse 5, Lord, help me. There's more names. Amiel, the sixth. Issachar, the seventh. Pethui, the eighth. For God blessed him. Oh, I'd like to be Pethui. No, that's it's talking about Obed-Edom. God blessed him. Verse six. Also to Shemaiah, his son were sons born who governed their father's houses because they were men of great ability. The sons of Shemaiah were Othniah, Raphael, Obed, Elizabeth, whose brothers were Elihu and Shemekiah, were able men. Verse 8, all these were the sons of Obed-Edom, they and their sons and their brethren, able men with strength for work, 62 of Obed-Edom. If you keep reading, the most sons and grandsons of any other gatekeeper in this chapter is 18. 62 plus the 10 listed, Obed-Edom Obed had 72 sons and grandsons. The ark was in his house for three months. And when David hears, verse 12, David hears, someone comes and tells David, uh, King David, you remember that ark we were going to get? Yes, I remember it. We left it at Obed-Edom's house? Yes. He's been blessed nonstop for three months. Huh, okay. Let's go get it. Let's bring it back. And then you keep reading. David says in 1 Chronicles 13, the word of the Lord given to Moses told us we need to carry this thing with poles. So when they bring the ark, they do it the right time this time. But they hear, he hears the blessing of the Lord is on Obed-Edom. Now think about it. This is in the Old Covenant. 
Just three months, the hand of God was on Obed-Edom's household and it changed his entire family tree. I'm telling you, one touch from God will change you and your family forever. And every single one of these men, they had sons and grandsons up to 18. Obed-Edom, he comes with him in 72. Oh, glory, Laura, I feel the anointing of Obed-Edom on me, huh? 72 sons and grandsons. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Someone said, how many children you want, AJ? Realistically, I said five, six, seven, eight, nine. How, how, can, I, how can I count? Some people don't think I'm serious. I want a big family. Obed-Edom, he was rocking and rolling. 72 sons and grandsons. Three months the ark was there. It changed his entire family. When David gets the ark, Obed-Edom goes with it. Think about it. Obed-Edom got so accustomed. Now, again, it's old covenant, so the Spirit of God is dwelling in us, but he was so accustomed to the Spirit of God in his home that when the ark goes to the city of David, he says, I'm going with it. If the Holy Spirit isn't in it, I don't want any part of it. If God can't take me there, may I never go. If God can't give it to me, may I never have it. If God can't do it, let it remain undone. Let's be people of the Spirit. Let's be a church of the Spirit. Let our activities be Spirit-led. Let our plans be Spirit-planned. Let our hands be anointed. Let everything that we say and we do and we think be under the unction and anointing of the Holy Spirit. When the ark leaves, Obed-Edom goes with it. Now, I'll read this to you, but if you would look in your Bible, you're welcome to turn there, Psalm 84 It's known as the psalm of the sons of Korah. Who are the sons of Korah? The gatekeepers. Who was a son of Korah? Obed-Edom. He's a gatekeeper. He and his whole family are in charge of basically being temple guards on the southern gate. In other words, if you're coming to the temple, at that time the tabernacle, and you're coming up the south way, you're not getting in unless Obed-Edom and his sons let you through. They were guarding the presence of God from anyone who had not sanctified themselves. Why do we do certain things we do here when we gather in church? And why are there some things we don't do? We have guarded this house to be a place of worship to God. There's some things we're just not going to do. Not just church, in your life. There's some places I don't go. There's some places I don't go, you don't go. There's some things we don't do. There's some words we don't say. There's some shows we don't watch. There's some social media accounts we don't follow. There's some folks we don't hang around with and connect and soul tie with because we're spirit-led people, because we're on guard. We're a gatekeeper. I don't want... There's nothing... The anointing is too costly. I don't want anything... I don't want to trade anything for it. And so Obed-Edom... He's a son of Korah. You get to Psalm 84. Oh, how lovely is your tabernacle. These are the sons of Korah. This is Obed-Edom singing. O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. You jump down to verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on a pilgrimage. 
when the ark leaves Obed-Edom's house, Obed-Edom, his heart set on a pilgrimage. I'm following the ark to the tabernacle. Verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, or weeping, they make it a spring. The rain also covers with its pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion, where the ark is. Verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a gatekeeper. Obed-Edom, the gatekeeper, he's singing in his house. Oh, I'd rather be a doorkeeper of the presence of God. In the house of my God, than dwell in the tents of, the wick- of wickedness. Obed-Edom, he figured it out. He realized there's just nothing better than living in the presence of God. He got a hold of it. When the ark left, he left. He got a job. I'll keep the south gate. Because I'd rather spend one day in that tabernacle with my God than in all the richest places that the world can give me because I found something money can't buy. I hope you understand, when you live in a way that the anointing of God's on your heart, things happen that man can't do for you. You get things that man can't give you. God gives you things that money can't buy. Where are you going to buy peace from? Where are you going to buy health and healing from? What store are you going to pick up a, a marriage blessed by God? What online retailer can you purchase children on their way to heaven? There's something about the presence and the anointing of the Holy Ghost that is so sweet and so holy. that you are in a place where God lives. Doors open that men say can't be open. Things that people call impossible made easy. When you get a hold of the fact, oh, I'd rather be in the presence of God just one day than anywhere else, anywhere else. Stand on your feet with me. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you, God. Just lift your hands and begin to worship God. Lord, we give you praise and glory and honor. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you've made us temples. You've made us containers. You've made us a place where your spirit dwells. Oh, God, what a privilege. What a privilege, Lord. I mean, not too long ago, men had to go to one place to seek you. Now, we freely enter in. God, may we never take it for granted. May we never be ignorant of it. That you have come to dwell among men. That you abide in our hearts as we abide in you. Oh, the sweet anointing and influence of the Holy Spirit. That's our desire. There's nothing like it, God. There's nothing like it to hear your voice. Oh, we are the sheep of your pasture and another voice will not follow. Hallelujah. 
Oh, hallelujah. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, oh, how I thank you that you've redeemed me. I'm blood washed. I've been sanctified, made holy, a place where the Spirit lives. Guide my feet, direct my hands, (laughs) control my tongue, cleanse my heart again and again. Renew my mind that I might live in such a way that you are always welcome. May I walk and talk and think and live with you in mind. Every decision, I bring it before you. May I honor you, the guest of my house. In Jesus' name. If you're here today, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you're here and you think, you know what? I just need to make things right with God. Under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, if you're here and you want to make things right with God and know that the blood of Christ has been shed on your behalf, you can just raise your hand right now and we can pray with you. If you feel like, you know what, I just want to get in a place where there's nothing between me and God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Won't you pray this prayer with me? Say, Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I repent of any sin, even if I think it's hidden. You see it. Wash me clean. I thank you. You're just and faithful to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So from this point forward, I walk before you, holy and clean, a carrier of your presence. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. God bless you. I'm so thankful for you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.